the Lord has sent his angel and saved me. That's our theme verse from Acts 12, verse 11b for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar will continue in our series, Church Empowered, with this week's episode titled, Impossibilities. If you want to watch the video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through our message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. Holiday season is upon us. You have survived. Thank you. You've survived Thanksgiving. You already put your Christmas lights up? No. Let me give y'all a warning. The LED lights aren't the same color. (laughs) As the cheapo lights. I was all finished. I was feeling good. You know, I was on the sofa with all my glory. (laughs) Leanne comes in. I said, you see all my lights? She said, yeah, the colors don't match. (laughs) They don't match. So don't buy LEDs if you got the cheapos. We are back. One more more message. Oh, (laughs) I ain't even said anything yet. (laughs) You're glad to be back. (laughs) Me too. So we continue. We actually conclude the first half of our series on Acts that I've called Church Empowered, which obviously points to the giving of the Spirit. And of course, uh, it may have been surprising to you that we've seen that the Spirit fell three different times. Fell on the Jews, the Jewish Christians, fell on the Samaritan Christians, fell on the Gentile Christians. So we've seen it and it empowered, showing that they were all the same. They were all equal. And as we are all equal before God. And so I think deliberately he showed that his favor was on every person, regardless of background, race, ethnicity. So today's message is entitled Impossibilities. The theme verse from Acts chapter 12, will be in Acts chapter 12 today, that I've chosen is part of verse 11, where it says, the Lord has sent his angel and saved me. We will see that that Peter was delivered out of prison in a way that was Humanly impossible. But God is not human. God does not have human limitations. And nothing is impossible for him. Matthew 19, 26. Well, what kind of impossible situation are you encountering? What kind of impossible circumstances seem to have imprisoned you? What do you need God's deliverance from? So we're going to learn from Acts chapter 12, how to overcome impossibilities. First, we rely on the power of prayer. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, King Herod Agrippa. 
Now, Herod Agrippa is the grandson of Herod the Great, who was king at the time of Jesus' birth. Herod Agrippa ruled over Judea and Samaria from AD 37 to AD 44. So Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, who was John's brother, killed with a sword. Now, during this time, who's in power? Rome. Though there were individuals on the throne of Israel, they were puppets. They had some power, but they weren't ultimate power. They answered to the Romans. And so Agrippa had a very strained relationship with Rome. He'd been involved in several conflicts with Roman leaders. And so to keep his position, his throne, he had to be sure and prevent any unrest, any uprisings. He had to maintain not, not so much the loyalty of the Jewish subjects, but just, just their behavior. Now, he tried to do that in part by seeking the approval of the Jewish religious authorities. He did that by persecuting this hated sect, sect of Christians, and especially the apostles who led them. Now, Herod, as it says, killed James with the sword. And at verse three, when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Boy, how terrible. We, we see not a man who was punishing someone from, for injustice, God God gives kings and leaders and rulers to a nation to execute justice. But here we just see just raw politics with a lack of integrity. He just would do whatever it took to win people's favor, even though he had no personal reason for doing such. Let me say that... I don't talk much about politics here, but I want us to, to have the right perspective as we're still in the middle of a presidential election. And I'm not so much concerned which candidate you're fa you favor as I am the process. See, as believers, the ends don't ever justify the means. As believers, the means and the ends must honor God. Now you can apply this however you want, but the principle for believers is the same. The means as well as the ends must honor God because God's about truth, fairness, and justice. I don't know how it's gonna turn out, but those are the criteria by which we need to say, is God honored in this? Now this King Agrippa, you say, well, I don't like that. Well, I'm not going to pay attention to my email this week. So, <laughs> so do whatever you want. 
<laughs> Agrippa thought that the execution of Peter would increase his popularity with the Jewish people. Now, why did he do it during Passover? Say it louder. Because there was a lot of people. Yeah, don't look for some obscure theological explanation if there's a very simple one. He wanted a crowd. He was trying to gin up support. And so he knew the city would be full of devout Jewish pilgrims. So the more devout they were to Judaism, the more likely they were to be offended by Christians, you see? And then he imprisoned Peter, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. He's in jail and he has four soldiers. Do you think that's a little overkill? Wonder why? Why did they go to such lengths? Because in Acts 5, we saw that Peter had already escaped from prison one time. An angel had already released, released him. And Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. So he wanted to wait till the busyness of the festival ended, but before the crowds left the city because he wanted a spectacle. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed earnestly for him. This word earnestly is a Greek adverb, extenos. And what it means is to stretch out. It's actually a medical term, which means to stretch a muscle to its limit. And what it's really referring to is this is unceasing activity, is this an intense workout. A, a perseverance. And related to prayer, it means to pray without ceasing, to pray with intensity, to pray constantly, to pray continuously, as the verse in First Thessalonians says. The same adverb was used to describe the way Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. And some translations say he agonized in prayer. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? An Old Testament, uh, another word in a different translation, a little more archaic, is to travail in prayer. Have you ever found yourself that way? Agonizing in prayer, travailing in prayer, stretching out in prayer. There's, a, there's an exertion here that's being described. Now these people knew God, but they knew only God had the power to release Peter. So they prayed. They knew the truth of this passage in James. The earnest prayer, see there, you see the same word. The intense prayer, there's some effort behind it of a righteous person. So there's a qualification as well, isn't there? Has great power and produces wonderful results. But you notice it doesn't say when that person prays, he gets whatever he wants. She gets what she wants. Doesn't say that, does it? But do we know this truth? 
that the intense, earnest, continuous, continual prayer of a righteous person, a person who's born again, who's seeking after God, that when that person prays, when we, if we're that person pray, it has great power and it produces wonderful results. Several things happen in prayer. Do we change God's mind? You think we change God's mind? Then what's changed? We're changed. We're changed. But in prayer, we're acknowledging God's ability and our inability to accomplish all things. And God does respond to prayer. That's not the same thing as saying God obeys our prayer. God responds to our prayer because our prayer is an expression of our faith, our trust, our reliance on him. But the way we pray, the intensity of our request reveal what we believe about God. You wanna know the measure of your faith? Reflect on the way you pray. the level of intensity, even the frequency. So for you, what problem are you facing right now that's beyond your control? Are you praying or pouting? Are you calling out to God or complaining? Are you crying out or giving up? When an impossibility arises, how do you respond? Do you look around for all the resources? Or do you fall to prayer? I like that phrase. Again, that's sort of an old-fashioned one, isn't it, too? Fall to prayer. But, it, but it, it's a perfect description, isn't it? Or do we pray only as a last resort? Is prayer our first resort or is it our last resort? Only when all other resources are extinguished. Why do we think we have to go to the doctor, the bank, the friend, everybody else, and then finally we get to prayer? When God should be the first step not the last one. First John 5 says this. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything we want. Anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we will make our request that please him, we also know he will give us what we ask for because we've been aligned with him. You see that? Some people say, God doesn't answer my prayers. Well, you're praying some awful prayers then. Is that fair? If, if God is just like a, a, a pass-through window, it's no wonder you don't get what you want. Because we haven't 
walked with God, understood him, know what pleases him. When we ask for what he wants, we get it. But we, when we pray in accordance with his will, not ours. Now, it's not wrong to ask for whatever you want. It's just that sometimes you may not get an answer you want. But it's okay to ask. You know, my grandchildren ask. When my children were little, I told them, you can ask for anything humbly. You can say anything to me I mean, respectfully. And I think God's that way. We can say anything to God respectfully and we can ask for anything humbly, but wanting him to change us, not just us try to convince him of what we want. To overcome impossibilities, remember God controls our circumstances. Chapter 12, verse six. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. Does that surprise you? Fastened with two chains between two soldiers and others stood guard at the prison gate. I think it's pretty startling that he's asleep. John is, I mean, James has just been killed. Peter knows that's where he's headed. The floor's hard. He's probably laying on the floor. He has painful shackles around his ankles, maybe his hands as well. He's got the presence of two guards right beside him, chained to him. He has two more guards outside and he has an imminent threat of execution and he's snoring. Isn't that surprising to you? Well, how did he sleep in such a situation? Well, there's a couple of things I'll remind you of. The first is he'd been told by Jesus, well, when did Jesus, what, what would be the situation when he died? Do you remember that? Jesus told him when he would die. John 21 said when he is old, when he was old. Furthermore, he'd already been released from prison by an angel once. So he had, he had had an experience with Christ, an experience with God that enabled him to trust God and just say, whatever happens to me, I'm in your hands. Isn't that where we all should be anyway? So he rested. Can you rest in God facing difficult circumstances or are you tormented by worry? Verse seven, suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord struck him on the side to awaken him. I mean, this guy's asleep. And it does tell you that, you, you know, that at least at times, angels can actually physically touch us. But Peter is snoring and the angel strikes him on the side 
Now, it's, remember, bright light is, the cell is full of bright light. That wasn't enough. So the angel punches him. And says, quick, get up. He was sleeping very soundly. And the chains fell off his wrist. Then the angel told him, get dressed, put on your sandals. I mean, he, it's like he's sleepwalking, isn't he? Who, does he wake up like that slowly or quickly? Slow. Slow. You have to tell him, get your shoes, get your shoes, we gotta go. Do you, I mean, my mother was always like that. Get out of bed, you gotta get out of bed. The bus is coming, the bus is coming. Half the time I'm running up the hill with my shoes in my hand, with a Pop-Tart in my hand or in my mouth. Did y'all live like that? And Mr. Ross, that guy was mean. He'd be pulling away and I'd get there and I'd say, Mr. Ross, go to the next stop. I'd say, go, shh. Well, it wasn't very nice what I said, but I said, taking off school today. But the angel says, get dressed, put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me. The angel ordered. I love this story. Because you know what it tells, says? If God's trying to get a message to you and you are half asleep or you are paralyzed with fear or you can't understand, he will take you by the hand and pull you to where you need. Anybody experience that? You're scared, you're fearful, you're confused, you don't know what to do. And we can sometimes think, oh, well, God's not going to help me unless I can figure it all out. Uh Uh-uh. We don't make our children do that, do we? Sometimes we take them right by the hand and we pull them to where they need to be. And so does God. So does God. We just follow. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time, he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. Doesn't this give you confidence when you read this story? You think, well, I'm not more of an idiot than that guy. (laughs) They passed the first and second guard post and came to the iron gate leading out of the city. And this opened for them all by itself. What does that say? Well, it says that no prison can hold you. No bars can restrain you. No gate can prevent you from being where God wants you to be. He will move whatever is in your way. Even, Even inanimate objects. Sometimes we think, oh, well, God's only about prayer and all that. God can't really actually do something tangible in my life, in my business, in, in, in my situation. Why can't he? So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him. You know, sometimes people think angels hover around all the time. I don't get that from this. I think the angels have a task and they complete it. 
and then they move on. Peter finally came to his senses. Now he's been awakened, told to put on his clothes, pulled all the way through the jail, gate sprung open, walking down the street, angel disappears. He says, I guess I'm not asleep. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. What did they plan to do? Kill him. Kill him. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark. John Mark was a, would be a traveling companion. Where many were gathered for prayer. She must have had a rather large house. He knocked at the door in the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. She's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And she must have asked, well, who's, that, who, who's out there? Who's knocking? It would, it would have been nighttime because the light, remember, appeared in the cell. So we know it was dark. And she heard him speak. And so she knew Peter so she, because she recognized his name. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. <laughs> this kind of statement is a proof of the truth of scripture because someone really told the real story. Haven't you ever done anything like this? You've been so excited about something you forgot what you were supposed to do. She left Peter outside. And so the, the people inside, they were all spiritual. Here's what they said. You're out of your mind. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. So some of these people, they don't even believe in their own prayers. I mean, don't you feel glad that you could have been in that crowd? It's, it's quite embarrassing, but it's, it's, it's very truthful, isn't it? These were disciples, they're gathered. It's a life and death situation and they're praying and they don't really believe anything's going to happen. Anybody in this room like that? Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. <laughs> the door was obviously locked. And why would it be locked? Because James has already been killed. Peter's in, in prison, probably going to be killed tomorrow. And they're scared that this Agrippa is going to have the thirst to arrest some more and put them to death because he's an unscrupulous politician and they know he'll do anything with, without a reason except to make himself look good to Rome and when they finally opened the door and saw him they were amazed and he motioned for them to quiet down so what'd they do? what? They were cheering. They were all, see how human they are? They were excited. And he said, y'all be quiet. You're gonna get us all arrested. 
And he told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. And he says, tell James, this is Jesus' brother who was now the head of the church in Jerusalem. You see that in Acts 15. And the other brothers, what had happened. And then he went to another place. Now, why did he go to another place? To protect them. Yeah. Because he knew Agrippa would be looking for him. And he wanted to save. The, see, how, see how truthful, see how human this passage is? Any of us could have been right in this story. I'm not sure which one of y'all would have not opened the, go, the door. <laughs> At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found... Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. I mean, look at the cruelty of this man. These were just innocent men doing their job. They couldn't control what happened with Peter disappearing and he put them to death. And afterward, Herod left Judea for a stay in Caesarea for a while to stay in. Caesarea is a, a beautiful place. Even today, it's a beautiful place. It's, I mean, it's a ruin today, but there's an amphitheater there. There's a, a, a horse track. There's um, swimming pools. There's just this gorgeous place on the Mediterranean Sea. So he went away for a vacation. He was stressed. Well, again, what negative circumstances are you facing? Financial crisis? Has this COVID-19 been hard on you financially? You may have lost your job or your livelihood. Are you struggling with medical complications? Some other kind of business challenges. Can you remember, can you believe, can you trust that even in your situation, God's in control? Can you believe that? Cry out to him for help. Look at this. Isaiah reminds us about God's control. Only I can tell the future before it even happens. Can tell you the future. Everything I plan will come to pass. For I do whatever I wish. Now, asking God for change doesn't mean God will change your circumstances. But I will promise you this. If he doesn't change your circumstances, he will walk with you through them. And the lesson, isn't that the lesson for us? I wonder how much we grow when God gives us what we ask for quickly. But the scripture, and I have, I'll give you several of them. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Don't look to yourselves. Don't look to your resources. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your path. Just like that angel. He'll pull you right along. Isaiah 43, 2 says, even when you're in, in deep water, you will not drown. 
Romans 8, 35 through 39 says, can anything separate you from the love of God? Not bad business, not poor health, not even death itself can separate you from the love of God. Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But that's what we cling to, see? That's what we cling to. Because God has control over circumstances. To overcome impossibilities also recognize God's sovereignty over people. Now, several months have passed since Peter's escape. And we go to verse 20. Now, Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So they sent a delegation to make peace with him because their cities were dependent upon Herod's country for food. So these people, for whatever reason, they didn't have water, they didn't have arid, um, fertile land. Anyway, they had been dependent for many years, Old Testament, since Old Testament times, for food from the areas ruled over by the Herods. And so these people in Tyre and Sidon are coming to try to convince him to keep selling them food because if Herod stays angry with them, he'll just boycott. He'll blockade their food source and they'll die of starvation. And we've already seen this is a merciless man. So they're coming and they're, they're pleading with him to, to keep trading with us, to keep sending us food because they, they needed good relations with him. So the delegates... won the support of Blastus, Herod's personal assistant. We don't know if it was a bribe or how, but anyway. And that assistant set up an appointment with Herod. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes, sat on his throne, and made a speech to him, to them. Look at the arrogance. You see, these are people coming in humility, in desperation, and he's reigning over them in arrogance. You, you don't see a man with any compassion, do you? He's consumed with his own power. He cares about his own position. And nobody else, it appears. And so these people, though you know what they really think of him, but they gave him a great ovation. I mean, sometimes you cheer out of fear, not because of admiration. Do you know that? And so they gave him this ovation. They're shouting, it's the voice of a God, not a man. See, y'all won't say that to me. Y'all say, it's the voice of a hick, not anybody with any education. But instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness. But look why. Because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving glory to God. He thought he deserved it. He thought he deserved it. So he was consumed with worms. These were likely tapeworms. And, and there was a, a, a man in the early service that, that knew about these worms. He was confirming. But these tapeworms would burrow inside of you. 
and they would lay eggs in a cyst. And the um, historian Josephus said millions would erupt when this cyst burst. Now I said, was it really millions? And this guy said, yeah, millions. And so this Agrippa was riddled with tapeworms. But he lingered for five days in terrible pain, according to Josephus. God ended the life of this proud, ruthless king because God is sovereign over all people. You don't have to be a believer for God to be sovereign over you. God is sovereign. He's the creator of all people. Look at this. Y'all know this passage, Proverbs 21. The king's heart is like a stream of water. Also the king's life directed by the Lord and he guides it wherever he pleases. And he ends it when he chooses. See, God is in control. You say, well, it doesn't feel like God's in control. It feels like, like the government's in control of me or my employer's in control of me or family members are controlling me or coworkers or friends or so-called friends all appear to be in control. Mm -mm. It might appear that other people have the power to dominate you, to dominate me, but they can only dominate us if God allows them or if we allow them. If we grant them authority over us, influence over us, or if God does. You know, Jesus' words even to Pilate, remember Pilate said, you better answer me because I have control of your life. And Jesus said, no, the only control you have over me is the control given to you. John chapter 19. So who do you need to ask God to change? God's sovereign. But let me give you a hint. He's probably first going to change you. When God doesn't change them, him, her, it's because his greater concern is in changing you. Acts 12, 24, and we'll close here. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread and there were many, she's happy to go, <laughs> and there were many new believers. Here's what I want you to understand. God's purpose will not be prevented by people. You might say, well, it looks like we're losing right now. No, no. God's purpose will not be prevented by people. And it doesn't matter how powerful they are. It doesn't even matter how evil they appear to be. Because God is sovereign over people. Now, I didn't tell you that means our lives are all easy. I didn't say that, did I? But I said he would walk with you in whatever situation we face. Can we trust God 
in that. Our care volunteers will be here. If, if this message has triggered you, sensitized you, they'll be here to pray for you. They'll anoint you with oil. There are also people in the care connection room across the concourse. They'll come on down, care, care volunteers. Memory, memory verse this week is God looked at them, Jesus looked at them intently from Matthew 19, 26. And he said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, what's it say? That includes your issue. That includes your problem. That includes your quandary, your circumstance, your situation. And spiritual practice this week, David gave us, suggested we use Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. So tell God what you need. You can say whatever it is on your heart and mind. But thank him for what he's done. And above both of those, trust him for what he'll do. Father, we thank you for this word. Help us to trust you. Help us to view our lives not based on the circumstances we're living in, but based on our relationship that we have with you through your son, in whose name we pray, amen. Thank you for coming. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is Matthew 19, verse 26. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. This week's spiritual practice is based off Philippians 4, 6, where it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything, tell God what you need, and thank him for all he's done. So practice these three T's from that verse. Tell God what you need, thank God for what he's done, trust God for what he'll do. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. Thank you for listening and have a great week.